would you welcome Pastor John Leach? <laughs> Jake. <laughs> Jake and I are trying to figure out where I should stand while he's praying. And you would think that's just a simple thing, but it's much more, yeah, the people in the back are like, it looks terrible on the video. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, there's, there's a little behind the scenes thing. Yeah. Uh, I've got two things real quick that I need to talk about. You might want to get a pen or pencil out, the notes out. Uh, if you want to take notes using the online version, get that ready. And if you learn just by listening, um, yeah, just, just do that. These, these couple things are important. Uh, for you to be aware of. First one is that our message groups, uh, which are, um, we'll pick a series throughout the year, maybe two, three, or four of them, and then around that series, we'll come up with, um, with temporary small groups, meaning that uh, we, we think it's great that you're here hearing a message, and we think that God will bless that but if you want to take your faith one step further and begin to grow, you don't want to just hear a message, you want to practice a message. Do you understand what I mean by that? So it's not enough just to, to hear it. We're not just trying to make you smarter. We're, we're trying to enrich your life where you're doing the word. Because the Bible says we can actually fool ourselves when we only hear it, but we don't do it. And so we want to help you figure out how to do it because that's where the blessing of God is. And I realize that we live in a place and a time where you're very committed with your time. I am too. And it's hard to just keep adding things on to an already packed schedule. So what can we do, instead of cursing the darkness and just saying it shouldn't be that way, how can we light a candle and do something to help you do that but not overload a schedule? So we've come up with what we think these message groups allow for that in a temporary way. So um, groups will get together around the message for the length that the series lasts, four weeks or five weeks. So it's a four or five week small group that allows you to participate beyond just hearing the message, but break down and talk about the message, how to apply it in your life. Then when it's over, if you want to keep going, you can. And if you want an exit out, you can. It's that easy. It's not weird. It's not hard. It's not a trick. It's not a trap. We're not trying to get you to do it and then we don't let you go. It doesn't work that way. We fully understand how it works for people's lives. But here's, here's look, just the honest truth is we're not comfortable um, just going, hey, listen to the message and then leave and go home. That's not what church is supposed to be. And we've turned it into that in many ways. It really is supposed to be a fellowship. And how do we add that part to it? I think we've come up with something that most of us would find a way to be able to do it for that length of time. And then you've got an exit out before the summertime, before uh, another sports program starts going, before vacations come. So um, consider that. What would you do if you'd like to sign up with it? Uh, Pastor Terry, uh, is, is, that's his job, is connections. He's actually our connections pastor. Terry will be out in the foyer. You could also go online, look online at what the groups are, when the groups meet, and sign up that way. But please, if you are at all considering, I'd like to grow spiritually in my life, it's not enough to just want to. You've got to take a step to do it. Do you agree with that? So you're all going to do it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right, here's the other one. Uh, I'm going to ask a favor, and here's the favor. Our Israel trip uh, this year, I need five more people. Five more to make the trip happen. Normally, um, the trip is sold out long before this time, but there's this funny little thing that happens every third, fourth uh, year. So we'll have really big back-to-back -back trips, and then all of a sudden, there's like an in-between valley uh, that happens, and we end up with a smaller trip where I'm, um, I'm having to say, hey, if you're interested in going, 
and, and maybe you're on the fence, if you go, you could help me out tremendously because I have enough people that want to do it, but I don't have enough people quite to make the number that I need. The number's 25. So I'm five short right now. So I'm, you're doing me a favor. Maybe you're sitting out there and you've been considering, I'd like to go, but is this the right trip? Is this the right time? The answer is yes. Okay, the, I'm answering for you. The answer is yes. We'd love to take you. And uh, of course, if it's just not supposed to be, we, we can pull back from it. I haven't committed us financially that way. But um, if, if maybe you're on the fence or maybe you hear this right now and you're just like, that works for us, wonderful. What you could do uh, in the foyer, my daughter is also my admin, uh, Amy, and Ames will be out there in the foyer with all of the information, um, the itinerary, uh, the dates, the costs, uh, any question you might have. She'll be out there in the foyer. And if you're in a place where um, you know, hey, we could do that and we want to do that, please see her. If you need to pray about it, we still have time. We can obviously go above that number, but I've got to have that minimum number to be able to make uh, the trip happen. And then here's just the last thing, and then I promise I'll jump into this and we'll go. Um, uh, I mentioned last weekend, and maybe you didn't hear me say it, maybe you weren't here, but because I said it, um, I have to do it. Um, I mentioned when I was in Peru two weeks ago that, um, so here's the sitch, we take care of a bunch of orphanages there. And when I go down, I go down for, for three things. The first one is our missionary there is a friend of mine, Larry Good. He's doing such an incredible job that I go just to encourage him and just to support him. Uh, the second is to be able to honestly look you in the eye and say that the money that we send there, that it's being used for ministry, and that every time I go, I can see the increase in what they're doing. And then the third thing is, it is actually to do ministry to, um, to people who otherwise don't get that opportunity like we do. And so there's a bunch of throwaway kids in that society, and I don't, know, I don't know why it is. They have a very high, high upper class and a very, very low, low part of their, their culture and not much in between. So if you're a have, you do really well and you can live in a very nice part of town. And if you're a have not, you live in squalor and you live, you live in poverty that I me trying to describe it to you, I, you have to see it to believe that people could actually live in something like that. We have put feeding and education centers right in the middle of that poverty so that we go there, they're ministering, they're feeding a thousand people a week in one center. And I was at this center, and so it's got all of these kids from, I mean, little guys from three, four, five years old up to kids who are 18, and once they turn 18, they, they move on out of that, and that becomes another problem. But so, so these kids are gathered into this, this center, and it's an educational thing spiritually, and they're trying to train them for jobs. It's really neat what we're, what we're doing down there and what, what the ministry is. But when, when groups from our church go, what's not compatible, they don't want you to go and then stand on the side and look at them like they're animals in a zoo. So imagine if someone came and did that to you. You would not be comfortable with that. They want you to come and participate with them, right? So I, um, this group of teenagers was doing this relay thing. They were having fun before they were going to do this lesson. And they said, Pastor, Pastor, do this race with us. And my spirit was willing. <laughs> but my flesh has become weaker than it used to be. So I mentioned that. 
And the security camera caught the result of this. So I'll show you real quick, all right. It's me in the lower, the lower left, so watch. They'll, they'll show it to you a few times. Boom. <laughs> now here comes slow motion. Watch how I limp. Yeah, well, they cut it too quick. Okay, so why do you show us that? Because uh, we need to take up an offering and fix that floor down there. Because <laughs> it can't be my fault that that happens. I'm teasing. Um, yeah, I will never, ever commit to showing something like that again. All right. Uh, <laughs> So uh, let's jump here. It's a new series that we begin today, and it's called Life Hacks. So maybe you're familiar with the term, maybe not. Uh, It is, um, they they decided to, you know, every year they'll include new words uh, from our culture in the dictionary. Life Hacks has become a new word that's in the dictionary now. And maybe you've heard it, but you're not exactly sure what it means. Maybe you have a rough definition or an idea of what it means. Uh, here's what a life hack is, and you could look this up today if you wanted to. A life hack is a shortcut, a skill, or a method that increases productivity and efficiency in all walks of life. I'll read it one more time. A life hack, a life hack is a shortcut, a skill, a method, a methodology that increases productivity and efficiency in all walks of life. So just real quickly, how many of you would love to get better in all walks of life? How many of you would learn, like love to learn how to just become the best version of yourself that you can? Now here's the question, listen real quickly. Okay, worthy message, something that definitely helps us, but is a self-help message worthy of standing in the pulpit and teaching? Would that not be better at a Tony Robbins convention? as opposed to Pastor John trying to teach on that. I, debatable issue for sure. Here's where I divide on that type of thought right there. While I do think that self-help things can be important and can make a difference in our lives, I do think that the gospel is not about self-help. The gospel's message mainly is you cannot help yourself and you need a savior. So we're not trying to become a better version of our old self. When we talk about a better version, it's a better version of the new man in Jesus, right? Trying to learn to be better, to grow, to to know more. So is that a biblical principle though? Maybe it's a good idea to learn life hacks, but is it a biblical principle? Ephesians 5.16, the apostle Paul, one of the brightest minds that, that ever uh, has, has anything to do with the scripture, a lawyer by training, educated, uh, wrote most of the New Testament, obviously believed what he was teaching, gave his life for the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul uh, said this to a church in Ephesus, your job is to learn to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days that we're living in. And he's not meaning that the days in and of themselves are wicked. What he's saying is that because the culture around us is going in the opposite direction of where God's kingdom is going, you've got to learn to make the most of every opportunity so you can be effective in the world that you're living in. Does that make sense? So when it comes to this idea of a life hack, a shortcut, a skill, a methodology that increases productivity and efficiency in every walk of life, of course you want to learn to be better. And this is important too. I turned 56 last month. Here's what I know from my own personal life. The older you get, the easier it is to say, hey, I don't need to learn to do something a new way. I've got it figured out. 
And the more sedentary you get in your brain, the more sticky your brain gets. You don't want a sticky brain. You want a brain that's flexible, that's youthful. You want a spirit that can always be taught. You don't want to become a person who is unteachable. Do you agree with that? So this is that opportunity to learn a shortcut, a skill, or a methodology that increases productivity and efficiency. This weekend, I'm going to talk about a life hack when it comes to marriage. So I'll give this disclaimer, and then this will be it on the disclaimer. I will not apologize for teaching about marriage. I know that this doesn't affect every person in this room. I know that I have some that are too young. I know that I have some who have said, been there, done that, got the scar, and not going back again. I recognize that I have some who are sitting here who think to themselves, of all weekends for me to go, I don't want to hear this message. I get it. But you're here. It's not an accident. And even if you say, I'm not sure that this would apply to me in my personal life, how about listen to the message first before you judge that. Don't get a sticky brain. There's a thing that should end up in the dictionary. So make the most of your marriage. Pastor, why do you want to teach about this one this week? By the way, it's not a marriage series. Next week is not going to deal with marriage. It is just simply a life hack. We're going to talk about different things where we can become better. Here's the subjects that we're choosing. Or, no, I'm sorry. Here's the reason we're choosing the particular subjects that we did. So listen to this. Marriage in this room does affect the majority of people here. Maybe not every person here, but it affects the majority of people here. And this is why it's important. Marriage, when it's good, is so good. And it seems that when it's good in your marriage, everything else in life seems to go pretty good. But see if you can agree with this. Marriage, when it's bad, can be so bad that it seems to affect every other part of your life too. So that when, when your marriage is good, man, it just seems to make other things feel or appear, even if they're not, you have the wherewithal to be able to deal with those things. But when things go wrong in your marriage, you seldom have the wherewithal to deal with other things in your life. It just affects those things. And by the way, I would just say this too. Marriage is a spiritual issue, not just a physical issue. The author and the creator of marriage is a spirit. So that when he designed it, it doesn't just touch the physical part of our life. It also encompasses the spiritual part of our life. And this is why it's important to teach in church. Marriage doesn't just affect you physically, Dan. It affects you spiritually, Deb. It, it, it touches your spirit. And in fact, when we're taught about marriage from the Bible, we're taught to consider what it does in our spirit. We are told that a marriage, when it's in a bad place, hinders the prayers of the couple who pray those prayers. So it may be a physical thing that you're experiencing, but it has a spiritual either drawback or a spiritual uh, help in your life. So that's why we're teaching it. All right, so let's do this. Get your pen or pencil. Uh, you want to fill it in real quick. Let me give you three marriage mistakes. So where does this come from? I didn't read someone's book. I didn't listen to someone else teach this. I have done this long enough to be able to bring my own stuff to the table. And some of it is stuff. Uh, some of it's good stuff. And some of it's like, hey, I made mistakes with this. Uh, by the way, how do we learn things? I've said this multiple, multiple times over the years. Uh, the way that we learn things, two, two main ways. We learn it through a mentor or we learn it through a mistake. When we have a mentor in our life who can talk to us about things, who can help us, what a mentor does is help us not to make 
mistakes. Now, look, if you're like, I don't want you to tell me, you can learn it any way you want to, but you will learn it. And it can be an easier or a more painful thing. And by the way, what do you think a mentor is teaching you? Mistakes. Or or her, you're right, or her, sorry about that. Or her, I come from a he background. Uh, So they're teaching what they've learned. And so that's that's where some of this comes from. And I don't set myself up as an expert. I don't set myself up as, hey, I've got this down. I'm perfect in this. That, that's not the truth. I, I think one of the things that people like about how I teach is that I am willing to be transparent and I am willing to share where I struggle. My point is not to impress you with how good I am. It's to impact you with how good our God is. To show you what God can do if you'll cooperate with him. So three marriage mistakes, you might want to write these down. These are things that people assume to be true in a good marriage, but it's actually a mistake. Number one, people will say, you're lucky. There may not be more offensive words to a person who works hard for something than to attribute their success to luck. Now, look, the cliche that's out there is this, I'd rather be lucky than... Do you not know that one? Serious? Okay, so here's the cliche. The cliche is, I'd rather be lucky than good. In my golf game, that's true. Okay, because I'm not good enough to be good, so I need to be lucky. Look at me real quickly. All married people listen, and potential married people listen to me. I don't want to be lucky in my marriage. I want to be good in my marriage. I don't want to leave it to whim. I don't want to leave it to the way the wind is blowing or to where, where our situation is going in life. I, I don't want it to be accidental. I don't want to have to depend on the kindness of strangers. Okay? I, I am looking to be intentional about it so that when people look at our marriage and they will say it's the craziest thing, say, man, you are, Pastor, you are so lucky that you found Chris. Okay, I get what you're saying. And by the way, they never tell her, you are so lucky. (laughs) What's up with that? But that's another message. They always tell me how lucky I am. And I am lucky. I get what you're saying. The bottom line is, folks, this is true. And people just, they look at us and they think, wow, he found his soulmate. He found that those two just get along so well. Come on. You cannot believe that to be true. Chris and I are the exact opposite in everything till this day. The true statement, I'm going to use it as an example right now, is just to prove a point that we, we, we want the same thing, but the way we get there is always in two distinct different ways. So when we get off an elevator, listen to this story. This is true to this day. We met 40 years ago, 40 years ago, 1980. 40 years ago. And for the last 40 years, this remains to be true. When we get off of an elevator, she will turn to the left. I will turn to the right. It will be two or three seconds before I turn around. Where are you? (laughs) I'm going to our room. Where are you going? To our room. (laughs) Now, by the way, my way is faster, but her way is prettier. My point, we both want the same thing out of life. We both want the same destination. We want to be together. We want to be doing life together. But the way we get there, we think completely different. So that early on, and in fact, farther than just early on, I would wrestle with her 
over trying to turn her into the version of myself. Think my way, do it my way. My way is better. It sounds so insignificant right now. It sounds funny, I can get you to laugh about it, but you cannot believe the amount of fighting that can come when two people try to change each other and can't accept each other. So the first 10 years of our marriage was all about trying to change each other and argue over the way we did it. The second 10 years was just finally acceptance that we are different. The third 10 years was beginning to celebrate the fact that we're different. And now we recognize the strength of our marriage is in the diversity that we both bring to our marriage. Two are better than one. One is not better than one. Two are better than one. You need both distinct differences in personality to expand the marriage. That's good stuff I just gave you right there. You don't know how good that was. So that what you need to learn to do is to celebrate the differences between the two of you. So this idea when people say to me, oh, you are so lucky you found the right one. Eh, That's not the truth. We worked hard. We worked our fannies off to get where we are. And just by the way, I said it last night, people were shocked. Do you not believe that we haven't found ourselves in the same place that you probably have at times where we have cursed at each other? Where we have said to each other, why did we get married? We got to get away from each other. We need a lawyer involved in this. Do you not think that we've said those things? People are like, you're a pastor. All that means is we feel more guilty after (laughs) the fight is over. Because here's the enemy of your soul. He'll tempt you on the front end and condemn you on the back end. Isn't that amazing? And what do we do? eat it up so that the only reason I even throw that out I am not trying to lower your opinion of who we are as pastors I'm trying to say to you if if you view us as like well they're in this this place up here and you know good for them I'm happy for them and I'm happy they get to teach on those things but I I just can't I'm here they're there I could never get we were here too And truth, we can still go back there. Back there is not that far. Easy to get there. You don't need a roadmap for it. Let your flesh go. You'll be there real quick. So this whole, you know, uh, you're lucky. You know what, when you say that to someone, what it really does is let you off the hook of having to work hard. Because what you're really saying is, you know, good for you that you're lucky, I'm not. And I can't get there. That is, ugh. Don't think that way. Don't, don't go down that road. That is not, that is, that is death. That is stinking thinking. It is, there's no life in that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Here, here's the second one. You complete me. Marriage mistakes. You complete me. Uh, here's where this comes from. Um, Jerry Maguire is a movie. Uh, Tom Cruise is in it. I know some of you are like, Pastor, you watch movies? Yeah, I, yeah, I watch movies. Uh, and Tom Cruise, he's a wacko. Yeah, but he's a great actor. And I think I kind of look like him a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> you never know what I'll say. So, Jerry Maguire is about a sports agent 
who's living the life, man, and he's a part of the culture, and that particular culture is fast-moving, and, you know, it's just the hookup and uh, make a lot of money and just, just kind of live that life. And so uh, in the middle of it, uh, he has this epiphany about how he's living life, and he sends out this memorandum, and the whole company's like, oh, that's great, but in reality, what he has done is stuck a heart in the thing that they're all serving. And so now they reject him, and he loses his job, and he loses his clients, and um, the only one that stands with him was his, his secretary, Renee Zellweger. And so they, they go, you know, to the point of, hey, we got to start this. And it's, a, it's a neat story. Let me get to the point real quickly. They get married. And then they, they, they think to themselves, we are so different. And we are so far away from, we should have never got married. So they're going to get a divorce. But there's a little boy that's involved in it in the meantime. And so... Um, he, he goes on with his life. He's got one client, and the client ends up doing really well. And um, he has this experience where he gets the success out of it, but he realizes that, that the success has cost him the relationship, and, and it dawns on him that the relationship's what I really want, not the success. So then there's this neat part of the movie where he, he takes off to get back to Renee Zellweger. All right, set up Renee Zellweger. She's living with her sister. Her sister has a support group of women who have come out of uh, bad marriages, and so they're marriage haters. So they're meeting in a group talking about how bad marriage is, and Renee's kind of walking around cleaning up trash and enter Tom Cruise into the situation to get his wife back. So it sets up this awkward thing where all these women are talking about how bad men are, right? And he's got to come into that and try to win Renee Zellweger back. So he comes into that situation and he makes this speech. And it's, it's, it's right. it, it can show you the power of Hollywood. It's a neat point, right? And it, it's super sappy and it's emotional. And right towards the end of it, and he, he goes, and you complete me. And she goes, shut up. You had me at hello. And then they run together and they kiss and ta-da. The angels sing and the sun comes out. And it's all BS. And if you're like, what did you just say? Welcome to Jubilee. So I'm going to tell you the truth about something right now. Hollywood packages lies. And then people try to go and live those things. And we think to ourselves, I've got to find this person who completes me. So let me undo this for you real quick. If you don't remember anything else, pay attention to what I'm going to say right now. No human can complete you. You were designed to have to be completed by God. God is the only one capable of defining who you are, why you are, and how you are. And when you don't go to God to get those things, but you want a human to give you those things, look at me real quick. You will manipulate, you will pull, you will try, you will drive, you will, be, you will do whatever it takes to get that person to try to fill that thing. And even if they buy into the idea of trying, look at me, no human can possibly do it, so you'll always be frustrated. And then you'll decide this, I didn't get my soulmate. I've got to find the one who can complete me. So you go off on this thing in search of the one who can complete me, trying constantly through life to get a human to fill this thing inside of you that only God ultimately can fill. Just real quickly, my wife does not complete me. And I do not complete her. She is a gift to me from God who makes my life awesome, but God and God alone makes me whole. 
Did you just hear what I said? My wife doesn't make me whole. God makes me whole. And when you bring, this is super important. When you bring that wholeness to a relationship, you're healthy. I'm going to say it once. Listen to what I'm saying right now, man. You could pay $10,000 to have a psychologist try to get this in your head for six months. When you bring the wholeness between you and God to the relationship, you are healthy and now you can build it on something, Peter, that's long lasting. But if you come into the relationship with this whole, expecting that, per, no matter if they throw everything they have at it, it will still come up short. And there's the frustration. Because no matter how hard they try, they can't do it or you can't do it. Tell me about that relationship that always has that void in it. Why can't we get there? And so you fight over that and you try harder and you try harder. This is one of those things you can't try hard enough. You don't have enough resource. You don't have enough words. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough joy. You don't have enough of anything to fill that void that only God can give. Does that make sense? Oh, man. That's the... That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's, here's the third one. This is just a marriage mistake that people tend to make. Um, it's mechanical. Now, you might think you know what I mean by that, but give me a chance to explain this. So what, what the, the thought would be, oh, I get what he means. Like when your marriage becomes mechanical, you're just going through the motions. That's not what I mean. For sure, there, there, there's a place for that, but that's not even near what I'm trying to talk about. Here, here's what I mean by mechanical. Um, you could actually have a really good marriage, and you could actually be in a marriage you know, for five years, seven years, 15 years, 25 years, 40 years. This, this would be the common denominator. You could have a good marriage regardless of the length of time, but here's what I know about life. As you go through time, people change. Anybody ever experienced someone change? Have you changed? Do you dress the way you dressed when you got out of high school? Some are like, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's okay. When I get out of here, I do too, man. I literally have, I wear the same jeans and the same sweatshirt, and the same tennis shoes when I'm away from here. But now I did not wear this when I was in high school, I assure you. Um, so you people change and I'm being funny on the, on the way we dress but emotionally people change over times. So here's, here's let's listen, listen real quickly. Um, Chris and I were high school sweethearts. I went to Green Mountain and she went to Bear Creek and we met at a church and uh, <clears throat> she was 16 and I was 17. Now, so think of the emotional place of a 16 and a 17 year old, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, now she's 55 and I'm 56. And we've spent a lifetime together. If I try to approach her trying to meet the needs of a 16-year-old versus a 56-year-old, can you imagine how upside down that would be? Stay with me on my point. When you are unwilling to learn new techniques and to give yourself to the idea of, I've got to meet this person where they are right now. I can't just put it on cruise control because this used to work. So... Here's how I'm going to frame it in a sentence. What got you here may not get you there. Learn, learn, learn. Pay attention. Where's that person at now? This is, hear me, what I'm about to say. Jeff, listen to what I'm going to say. Do not wait till you're in crisis to decide to learn new techniques. 
Learn new techniques so you don't go to crisis. Yep. Very good. Sometimes I think I teach so yeah. well. Like, I'm just like, oh, you are, that is so. And it's like, creak, creak, creak. Um, okay. Here, so what is working then? So that's the negative. Just to, just let's get away from that. Let's go to the positive. What is working? So here's how I did this this time. Um, at our teaching team, for months now, this has been on the agenda to teach. We've been gathering material. We've, we've talked about these things. Um, I've let people weigh in and throw things. I, I'm an observer. I gather material. But then when we go to put it all together at our teaching team, uh, as, as we're writing this message, what I decided to do was just take the people who were at that particular meeting at that particular week and ask them, tell me what's working in your marriage right now. What's working for you right now? So this is really, this is, this is where diversity and strength comes in. Instead of just teaching from a 36-year-old marriage, I'm going to teach from a marriage that's five years old, one that's seven years old, uh, one, one uh, uh, a person who was married for 45 years in a good marriage, and, and, and his wife died, and now he's starting all over and having to learn, well, that's a, that's a tough place. Yes. Two people having to... Do you get what I'm saying with that? And then I'll use our own at, at, at what we've learned at 36. So these four things real quickly. Uh, and this is why we're moving the service to 11 o'clock. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, here, here's the first one. What's working now? Remember your first love. Remember your first love. All right, so follow me. Let me, let me teach you a, a, a spiritual principle. And this comes from the Father's heart. The Father's heart. When God tries to teach us about how he loves us and how we're to love him and love each other, he can't just simply throw down the concept. He has to put it in a technique or in an explanation that the human brain can wrap around. So when, when God is trying to teach us how to love him and how to love each other, he'll use a concept that we can understand easily. So uh, when he's teaching on love, sometimes he will use when a marriage is right, it's a definition or an explanation of what love can look like. So Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives like Jesus loves the church, or in other words, he loves you. So you don't love your wife the way you saw your dad do it or the way you think it should be done. Do it the way you're experienced, because the way God loves you is unconditional. The way God loves you is so mature. The way God loves you, God's not sitting there counting your sins against you and writing down all the things. God is always and forever offering. It's just what Camille said. You got to preach on you, Camille. You really do. And Camille will say, I don't like to speak. And I will always think, she may not like to, but she's good at it. Uh, you, you just have this, so what you said this morning about his kindness, about his kindness, his, his majesty and how awesome he is. And he manifests it through kindness. Wow, well done. Proud of you, well done. So Jesus, when, when he's trying to explain to us, here's the way it should look. Love your wives like I love you. Now, that's easy to say, but that's hard to do. To love someone unconditionally. Here's what I'm going to say to you. No person, man or woman, can leave this room and go love someone like that. You don't have it in you naturally. You have to receive that love to give that love. And so this goes back to how many years have I taught this? Get it right this way, and you'll have the ability to do it this way. Does that make sense? 
And when you leave here to go try and do what I'm telling you to do, you'll just be frustrated and go, those things don't work. That pastor, it's all in the context this way, right? Engage with God this way, and you will have a concept, an understanding, and an ability to begin doing it this way. So the more you can receive love, the more you can give love. Does that? Okay. So, so follow me on this right here. So remember your first love. So when God wants us to understand how to love each other, do it the way that I do it with you. So he'll say, husbands, love your wives like I love you. And wives, submit yourself to your husband. Give place to your husband. Let him lead you. It doesn't say women, let men do this. It says wives, let your husband do this. So it's very specific in who it's talking to. And I recognize, so pastor, man, that is, that is pretty old-fashioned. I didn't write it. And I could just simply say this to you, the way we're doing it today has brought a divorce rate inside of the church that's equal with the world. And we're so smart, right? We're so smart. So the author of marriage then sets rules by which marriage works best. And I, God is my witness. I've done this long enough to know that as I'm teaching this, there will be a scenario out there of a couple where it's abusive and the wife will be thinking, I'm unable to do that because if I try to open my heart, my heart is being crushed. I get it and you're right. I'm not telling you you're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying as a whole, the way to make it work when you have two healthy people, here are the roles you play in your marriage. Right. Yep. Love each other and give place to each other. So the first love thing, let me just get to this. All right, so I'll, I'll use Kate and Jay. They're married seven years. Their anniversary is um, January 1st, New Year's Day. It's an interesting day uh, for, for, uh, for an anniversary. And here's where they are in life right now. They have three little children, two busy boys and a beautiful little baby, an infant. And can, can those of you who have been there and done that, can you remember how long those days are, but how short the season actually is? And you think to yourself, this is never going to end. And you are so tired and the laundry is piled up higher and higher and higher and kids are throwing up and you know, kids never stand there. Tell me when I can move. They, they're, they're, <laughs> And they're outside and they're inside and they're in the garage and they're trying to eat things that they shouldn't be eating and they're trying to, you know, and they're whacking each other. And you're just like, ah. And so here's what happens to a couple. Follow me real quickly, right? Uh, Your attention was on each other and you were loving each other and you were giving to each other. But now these little entities have entered your life and they require so much. And you know that, you know, when you have a child, what you really have chosen is that your heart will now walk outside of your body for the rest of your life. That's That's what you've chosen. And there's no way back from it. And that's why it's so painful. And that's why it's so wonderful. It's all of it together. But they find themselves at seven years with three little children, full-time jobs, and just, you know, the thing that suffers is the relationship. Can you remember? And so um, the other night, they're just, you know, they're, they're both having brain damage. And so Katie comes down and she just plops on the couch and she said, dad, my mouth was open as I was watching TV. I look like a mouth breather. (sighs) And she said, Jay walked in the room and looked at me and he just realized, man. And so Jay begins to tell Katie, Katie, I'm so sorry that I haven't been giving you the attention that you deserve. And honey, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I haven't been having the conversations with you. I I just, I I just want to take some time and, and talk to you right now. 
And she looked at him and she said, I, I don't want you to talk to me. She said, I want you just to let me veg on this couch right now and try to get my brain back in my body. Ever been there? Have you ever, be honest with me. So that's sort of where they're living life right now. And they love each other and they're committed to each other and they'll make it through that. But there are consequences for everything in life, good and bad. And while they're raising children and they're at that place right now, the relationship begins to suffer a little bit. And so uh, this, is, this is to brag about my counterparts, Jay's mom and dad. Jay's mom and dad, they, they go here and they're super involved in the kid's life too. And um, Andy and Justin looked at where they were at and came up with, a, with what I think is a great strategy. They offered to watch the kids, take the kids. And then they sent Jay and Kate on a scavenger hunt. This was for their anniversary. And they came up with this neat thing. And at first, they're reluctant to go do it because they love to be with their kids. And, and they're just like, we're tired. But they, they said, we'll do it. So one of the scavenger hunts was to go to a bookstore. They actually still have those. <laughs> and go to the magazine section in a bookstore. JJ, buy a magazine that represents Kate. Give it to her and tell her why. Okay. Katie, buy a magazine that represents Jay. Give it to him and tell him why. Now, look at me real quick. It sounds so like big deal. Oh, man. They do it, they sit down in those chairs, and he hands it to her and tells her, this is what I see in you, and this is what I love about you. And then she does the same thing, and within moments, the thing that drew them together, whoosh, yeah. comes right back again. Now, the reality is, they're gonna leave there and go back into the situation, and it's gonna be like that for a little while. Yep. Long days, but it's really a short season. But it's doing things like that in the middle of life. Look at me. And not just at seven years, but at 17 years and 37 years, 57 years. You've got to, and it may not be at times as simple as things like that, but you've got to do those things that reconnect hearts. Hey, I, when I look around the room, I, because I, I've been here from the beginning, I look at people who I know their situations and you're just like, crud pastor. I can't go back and do it. It's too late. I... My heart is not hardened towards you in any way. I hurt, and I wish I could. I wish I could reach in and I could reconnect things for you so easily. Finding those ways to fan into flame the first love. Jesus in Revelations chapter 2, verse 4 uses this whole idea of first love in relationships to describe, again, a spiritual principle. So Jesus is talking. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at what? It, so it's, it, he's not trying to like just, that's not Jesus' heart. Jesus loves us and he cares for us. And he cares so much that he's willing to say, hey, this is hurting you. It's killing you. Don't just be committed to me. Be passionate for me too. The goal of a good marriage is not just to stay together. It's to stay together and be passionate for each other. Longevity in marriage is not just how many years can we, can we click. It's how many years can we love each other well. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? And I just, oh my goodness, it's so important. 
It's so important. And we can forget or we can be, be misled or we can find ourselves in situations where that seems so impossible. In fact, I know right now that I have some men who are listening to me this weekend who are like, I wish he would shut up. <laughs> no, I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. And I know I have some women who are hearing me right now saying, I wish he would shut up because I don't want my husband to try. I know. I've done this too long, man. I know. So I'm not coming at it from the point of view of condemnation. I'm coming at it to say to you, don't you think we've been there? Don't you think we found our, where our hearts were so far from each other and we're so cold to each other? And we do things intentionally to hurt each other or even worse, we learn to go to sleep and not say a word to each other. You know the danger in that is that the more you can go to sleep and be like that, the harder your heart grows every night. And the most difficult thing that we as pastors counsel are people whose hearts have become hard. Jerry, when the heart becomes hard, it is so difficult. You can tell all the reasons why, but a hard heart just, it's so difficult to get beyond that, that hardness. Now underneath it is flesh and it beats and it's soft and it's warm, but getting through that veneer can be so difficult. So difficult. So the best way to handle it, don't let your heart get hard. So when the Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your anger, John, why would it say that? Kathleen, why would it take the time of all the things you teach? Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Why? Because if you can learn to lay down at nighttime and have that wrath in your heart, it will harden your heart and you will find yourself so far away. And then you'll say to yourself, yeah, but it's against a spouse who did this to me. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you, but the problem is it'll never be just contained against your spouse. It will also end up in your relationship with Jesus. And you will become cold-hearted to the things of God. And you don't, don't go pastor. Ugh. I love you, and that's why I'm telling you right now. Here's the second one. Submit to each other. Submit to each other. Before Paul tells a wife to submit to her husband, he gives this first instruction to the couple. And, and we always, we leave this out when we teach on marriage. But here's the very first thing that he says. And furthermore, submit to, say it with me, one another out of reverence for Christ. So we always get this idea that it's a wife's place to submit to her husband. And I, yes, there's a role and a place for that. But before, if a man's demand, submit to me, submit to me, submit to me, dude, you are in the wrong place, man. You're in the wrong place. You don't lead from a place of saying, you lead from a place of loving and serving. You submit so that she can trust to submit herself to you. I'm trying to, oh man, I just, yeah, I don't have time. I'm sorry. It's Daniel and Holly. Uh, five years. Three children, uh, well, two and a half, 2.5. Um, and, and at that place where, you know, ministry and just, it's just, it's interesting to watch. So here, here's this mutual submission. How does this work? Let me give you an example. Uh, <clears throat> Danny's a night owl and Holly's an early bird. It's a big deal. Uh, it is when one loves to get up early and the other one loves to sleep. And then it is when the other one in the evening loves to go to sleep and the other one loves to stay up late. And so what you find yourself, it's no big deal, no harm, no foul. But what happens is you do that for a long period of time, you're spending a lot of time by yourself and not together. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do about that? 
So you don't demand, hey, I love to stay up late, so you're staying up late with me. Nor do you demand, I love to get up early, so you're going to compromise. Let me give you an hour here, and I'll take an hour there. And learn to begin to, and don't do it out of anger, but do it willingly. And here's what's interesting. At the rehearsal dinner, Holly's father said this, and I heard it. So he goes, Daniel, I want to give you a piece of advice about my daughter. If you want to connect with her, get up early in the morning. And I'm thinking, oh no. (laughs) Of all the things you could have said, if you'd have said anything else, he would have done it. But this thing is like, you got to get a crane to get that kid up in the morning, man. It's like, (laughs) Dan, it's okay. I can tell the story. All right. They go on their honeymoon. They go on their honeymoon. First night together. They have this great night there in Hawaii. Wake up the next morning. Holly gets up real early. Good morning, Daniel. It opens the curtains. It's a great day. Look out. And Daniel quotes a scripture to her. And here's the scripture. A joyful noise early in the morning is received as a curse. How do you think the marriage is going to go? So she's just like, see you later, fella. (laughs) So we laugh and we joke and we think, oh, learning, 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 always learning to submit to each other, to receive those things joyfully in a person, to not, to not, why do you do this in the morning? But to appreciate the fact that that person does that in the morning. Does it make any sense? So that, that whole mutual submission thing to each other, that, that's, this is what's working. And then I'll, I'll just throw one more thing real quick. Uh, my son, I, I'm proud of him for this. He's learned to take counsel. You know, I wish that, I, I wished I would have had a father who was willing to butt into my marriage. But I had no father who ever said anything about my marriage. I didn't have a father around. And um, I'm a Budinsky. If I see it and I think it's wrong, I will say something. I, maybe not instantly. I'll pray about it first and wait for the right time. But there was something recently that I saw Danny do. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not as bold with Holly. I want her to like me. <laughs> but this is my son. And uh, so I saw something And I waited, and then I went to him, and I said, I see something, and I need to know if you can be teachable if I say it to you. So he has to make that choice. And of course, look, you know the first thing that happens when you have to be teachable is that you have the temptation to be prideful, to be offended. And so he had to decide, can I put my guard down? And so I just, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I said, son, I see you doing this. I'm going to tell you the long-term implications of this if you don't get on this right now. Why? Because I did that. It's, it's, um, don't talk to her that way. Don't be rough with her. I'm not saying physical, but don't talk to her like she's a boy because she's not a boy. This is that biblical. <laughs> Live with your wife with understanding as the weaker, weaker vessel in the marriage. Not that she's not his equal, but physically, there's a role that's there. And I... To my shame and my discredit, I could talk, I could say worthless things to the most priceless person. Yeah, I'll stop. To his credit, 
he received that and is working on that, and I'm proud of him for that. Here's the third one, the process to become one, Mark 10, 8. Am I okay? Yes. Is my time too long here? I just, you know, okay, process to become one, Mark 10, 8. Jesus is teaching, this is what he says. So by the way, if you think that the Old Testament is out of step, that the Old Testament was under the law, and that the Old Testament has no bearing on the new covenant, uh, let me just connect a dot for you here. Jesus, whom we love, and if you're a Christ follower, you serve. Jesus constantly pulled from the Old Testament to teach things. So when he teaches about marriage, Jesus doesn't write something new. He goes back to Genesis, where the first marriage happened, and he quotes uh, this thought. He said, the two will, what's the word? So one more time, the two will? So becoming is a process. You don't become one because you have sex. You don't become one because you say I do. You don't become one because you move in with a person. You become one through process. In fact, becoming one happens when you learn to love well. So this idea that sex is what makes people one, where does that come from? Paul has that one teaching, one teaching, where he says a man shouldn't sleep with a prostitute because he's he's joining his spirit uh, and the two are becoming one. And so he then goes on to say, and if you just are, if you're hitting the hookup constantly, what you're doing is giving a piece of yourself to so many people, how can you expect to be undivided and whole in your spirit? And we live in a day, so like, but pastor, it's that's I have this need and this urge. I gotta have it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this process of becoming one with the one you're with. Pastor Terry had this insight. This was huge. Listen, to what I'm about this. This is this is gonna reverse what we've been talking about. Terry just said when it comes to marriage, he said, "How many marriages end up in financial stress?" Do you know it is number one or number two? When people cite a reason for divorce, it'll be number one or number two, financial stress. So Terry made this statement. Listen to this very quickly. In every marriage that he's ever counseled with significant financial problems, the one common denominator is that they couldn't agree on tithing. So what does that mean? Listen to what I'm about to say. This is not a tithing message, but listen, I'm not gonna apologize for this and I'm not gonna back off of this. Listen to what I'm saying right here. When a couple can't agree on the smallest of principles, there's not the unity, there's not the agreement, what do you think it's going to be like in the big things of life? You do it in the little things, and then it works into the big things. And when we're trying to tackle the big things, but we can't do it in the little things, so it really, this is the best way to say it. When you're saying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless my marriage, bless my relationship, what you're actually saying is, God, I want to do it your way so you can bless me. And you cannot do it your way and then expect God to bless you. That is not how it works. That is foolishness. That is some kind of teaching. It's a, no wonder we're, what, this just doesn't work. Yeah. It does work, but you've got to do it his way. Yeah. So, so number four, this comes from the old couple. <laughs> Pastor John and Chris. Treasure reveals your heart. Treasure will always reveal your heart. Your heart does not reveal your treasure, although you might think, well, you just reverse it. You can do that, right? No, Jesus, every time he taught it in the Gospels, would always say that where your treasure is, there your heart. He never said where your heart is, there your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Why did he say it that way? Because there's a principle that is absolutely wonderful. One of the places in the Bible where it says this, Luke 12, 34, Luke 1, 2, 3, 4, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be 
also, wherever your treasure is. Okay, the principle, what's working. So listen to this. And this has to be adjusted through space and time to make it work. You need to make that person your treasure and your heart will stay with that person. If that person does not become your treasure, your heart will go to something else that is your treasure. If your job is your treasure, you'll find your heart there. If your money is your treasure, you'll find your heart there. If, if golf is your treasure, your heart will be there. If a car is your treasure, your heart will be there. If, if a, your neighbor's wife becomes your treasure, your heart will be there. This is the way it works. And you can love God with everything that's in you. But if you don't guard your heart, your heart will follow where your treasure is. So the way to make it work is to make that person your treasure. How do you do that? When I was 17, the way I did that is way different than the way I do it with 56. So last thing and I'll close. Here's a new one that we just learned. And I'm gonna throw it out, not saying that you should do this, but using the example of always be willing to find new ways to make sure that that person's your treasure so that your heart stays there. Chris and I are not in crisis, but because I don't wanna be in crisis, I'm always looking for ways to capture her heart. Did you just hear what I said? Always, 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 always. So I'm reading this article. Bear with me right now. Bear with me. I'm reading this article recently. And uh, in the article... I know it's going to sound like, what in the world do these two things have to do with each other? But stay with me. Okay, I'm reading this article, um, and it's sad. This man goes to the doctor, and uh, he, he's having some health problems. They, they go through all the physicals. They check him out, and he ends up where he's got uh, s- stage four liver cancer. So basically, they're just telling him, hey, there's nothing we can do for you. We can try to treat it, but it's so advanced, and it's spread. And So the guy... How would you take the news? It's devastating to this man. He finally gets to retirement. I mean, this all, and, and this happens, and it's just, it's crushing. He's angry. He's disillusioned. He, he's the emotions of it. Uh, and through life, he happened to be a gun collector, collected all these rare and unusual guns. So he pulled his family together to give them the news, and then he drops this on them. He said, I'm not going to let everything I worked for be eaten up by this disease over the next year. He said, I'm going to end my life so that I can leave behind something that takes care of all of you. And whether you think that's right or wrong is not what the debate is right now. But he decided he was going to take his own life with one of his guns. And his daughters are sitting there and they hear this. And they're like, no. And he cannot be talked out of it. He cannot be comforted. He cannot be reached, man. He is devastated and his heart is so wounded. And even though he loved his wife and he loved his daughters, he's just like, I've already made up my mind. So his daughter, one of his daughters, begins to write him once a day a letter to tell him why she loves him once a day. And she does it for 100 days straight. Bottom line, it reaches his heart and he relents and doesn't take his own life. Now, he still faced the disease. So I'm reading that. Stay with me. And I know that the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, could you write her for the next hundred days something new every day about what you love about her? And my first initial thing was no problem. But then I thought, okay, so you've been married a long time. You know better than just to blurt it out. 
So go get yourself a legal pad and start writing down all the things that you love about her. And all of a sudden I thought I could go for 200 days. Easy. So I send her a text once in the morning and just begin reason number one. I love you because... And just send it. And then she's like, what is this right here? And so I tell her. And then she said, could I do it with you too? I said, yeah. So now we just split it. So today was my day. Tomorrow will be her day. And what do you write to each other? It's none of your business. (laughs) Some of it is very simple. I like the way you do your hair. And some of it is very profound. Can I tell them this morning? I wrote her and I said, I love the way you love Jesus. Your decision to love him when you were 14 years old changed my life, changed our children's lives, changed our grandchildren's lives. A church is here today because you made that decision so, so long ago. And you love him so well. And I love that about you. I love that about you that you love Jesus. We're not in crisis. It takes effort. Are we perfect at it? No. I I was traveling recently and forgot to send it. She got up in the morning and was tired and sent the same one she did, you know, the last time. (laughs) We make mistakes with it. So why do we do that? Listen to me. We're not in crisis, but we don't want to be in crisis. So I'm always looking for new techniques. What worked yesterday... I'm not trying to keep applying. I am looking for ways to win her heart today. I pursue her heart as much today as I did when we were 16 and 17 years old. I find ways that get her heart today. Why? Because where my treasure is, there my heart goes, Dan, listen to me. Make her your treasure. Bree? Make him your treasure. It's this wonderful little thing that God created us that if we'll do this thing, you won't have to make your... You know the funny thing? You can't make your heart do anything, can you? And that's why God doesn't say, make your heart do this and then it'll be your treasure. He says, make your... We can pick our treasure and your heart will follow your treasure. It's this most wonderful principle. So let me give you two things that you could do with this message. Um, First one. So if you like hear this and you're like, Pastor, how can I invest in my marriage? We've got something for you. February the 9th, we're going to do a Married Folk Valentine event, 6 to 8 o'clock, February the 9th, here. You would sign up for it at jfc.org slash events. Pastor Jake and Kim are hosting that. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. That's the night. It's a night of joy is what it is. And then Jake will teach a little bit on marriage. So that's one of those things you can do. And then I want to throw one out to you that we're considering doing. So it's an if, capital I, capital F, underline. If there's a desire for this. If we were to give ourselves to four or five weeks of a midweek thing on marriage. And not just teaching but then we spend time kind of breaking down into small groups and talking about those things and helping people to figure out how do we do these things. If I were to do that, how many of you would commit 
to being a part of that. Let me just see if there's even any, raise your hand. I just need to do it off the fly here real quick. If you're not interested, don't, there's no condemnation. I just need to see if there's an interest. Uh, Okay, perfect. Put your hands back down. I think that there's going to be enough interest to do it. So further details will, uh, will follow. So let me, let me pray. Um, and, and Jay's got to get us uh, out of here. You, you have, Jay, they have to go. So you got to make your part. You, you, you cannot take a long time. Okay. Uh, so Father, love you and bless you and thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. And Lord, would you please take this message? I just, I rebuke condemnation. Uh, I rebuke anything that the devil would use to cause people to stumble. Um, no, uh, marriages that are good, make them great. Marriages that are great, God, do the miraculous and increase. Marriages that are stuck, God, help them to get unstuck. Marriages, Father God, that lack inspiration, breathe on them right now. Marriages, Father God, that, that are committed to each other and, and that are, yes, man, this is the love of my life, but somehow through space and time and events, uh, our hearts have drifted and we're committed, uh, we're, we're together, but that passion is just not, you know, God, Help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your tenderness. And I pray it in the name of Jesus, amen.